At the end of April, I was watching Lou Dobbs, as I do every day, and he was interviewing Michael Pillsbury, the lead China expert at the Hudson Institute. And Michael Pillsbury made a certain commentary. He explained how China's involvement in the United States and throughout almost every branch and office or agency, rather, in government, if I understood him correctly, the U.S. has been involved with China federally widespread since the Carter administration. And it was the Carter administration that initiated um, such a widespread series of um, relationships and partnerships with China. And he went on and called for an index of these programs that there has to be some sort of list somewhere that can outline exactly how entangled China is with the United States. Well, this is something that I do on the regular is build lists, build indices. And so I reached out to some fellow experts um, fellow meaning experts in Dr. Pillsbury's class, which reached out to them in, in D.C. and offered to put together a report. And then they carried on the, um, the suggestion and the request to a certain coalition. In any event, um, this podcast is basically a, a quick summary of... <clears throat> my initial findings, but focused solely on um, the, the corporate and institutional relationships that China has with the United States. So the objective of this report is to provide a reference actually for nonprofit administrators and public sector administrators and philanthropists in consideration of stability for any partnerships, endowments, pension fund, gifts of stock, or other programs that may be impacted by increasing tensions in U.S.-China relations. The, the report and the summary white paper <clears throat> cover the following topics in the following sections. <clears throat> Chinese stocks traded in the U.S. markets, U.S. manufacturing in China, U.S. corporate sales in China, Chinese foreign direct investment in the United States, and DOJ's China Initiative. In the white paper, I also list out a series of companies by name, including those that are publicly traded on the stock market in the, in the U.S., um, in particular NYSE and NASDAQ, U.S. companies that are manufacturing in China, and U.S. companies that are operating in China. Okay, so first, Chinese stocks that are traded in U.S. markets. Following a significant extended COVID-related health risks imposed on the U.S. populace by China's monopoly over pharmaceutical and medical supplies and subsequent widespread distribution of faulty medical resources to the United States and Europe, U.S. domestic manufacture of pharmaceuticals and medical supplies ramped up in 
ongoing defense against coronavirus. A series of pushes to divest from China stocks in the U.S. markets followed suit in both private and public sectors. Notably, the U.S. military pension fund moved to ban $50 billion of investment in Chinese equities, citing national security concerns. The federal move was officiated on May 12, 2020. What preceded this divestment was an SEC report on limited transparency of Chinese stocks, given decades of exemptions and compliance reporting such that other publicly traded companies are required to adhere. So understand that the China stocks do not have to comply to the same SEC guidelines as other companies that are traded in the stock market. So how is this fair? It's not. So to date, there are 290 Chinese ADRs traded in the U.S. markets, including on NASDAQ, NYSE, and OTC in a broad range of industry sectors. Of these companies, Chinese ADRs with the largest market cap include Alibaba, PetroChina, China Petroleum and Chemical Corporation, China Life Insurance Company Limited, Baidu, and China Telecom Corp. Limited. Widely touted, widely touted stocks include Alibaba, JD, NetEase, New Oriental Education Technology, Penjoyo, Tenesit Music, Vip Shop, and ZTO Express. However, GSX, Luck and Coffee, and TAL are regarded as high risk. Many China stocks are underwritten by major investment banks, including Barclays, Bear Stearns, historically, BlackRock, Citi, Credit Suisse, Deutsche Bank, Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan Chase, Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, and UBS. In the era of COVID, following already growing U.S.-China tensions, China stocks face volatility in the market as the U.S. federal government determines limitations against Chinese companies and as executives and investors mull relationships with China surrounding COVID-19-related issues. According to the Federal U.S.-China Economic and Security Review Commission, as of February 25, 2019, there were 156 Chinese companies listed on given U.S. exchanges with a total market cap of $1.2 trillion. So understand where the market was at the time, at wherever the market was at the time in February, end of February 2019, for China's companies to have $1.2 trillion share in that breadth of the market is highly significant. Okay, U.S. manufacturing in China. Over 300 U.S. companies, including U.S. publicly traded corporations, stocks, um, conduct manufacturing in China. These companies may face volatility in the stock market due to COVID-19-related issues and under considerations for moving manufacturing out of China to the U.S. or other Asian nations. According to the U.S.-China Business Council, 85% of companies manufacturing in China are resistant to moving all operations to alternate territories, i.e. the wider majority of U.S. corporations are not interested in leaving if they are already manufacturing in China, even though we have seen a number who have moved out 
uh, they've brought manufacturing back to the U.S., which is great, or whether they have moved to other countries, um, such as in Southeast Asia. Okay. Now, according, sorry, um, just a little snapshot of who is the U.S.-China Business Council. It's According to their website, it's a private, nonpartisan, nonprofit organization of approximately 200 American companies that do business with China. Founded in 1973, USCBC has provided unmatched information, advisory, advocacy, and program services to its members for over four decades. Through its offices in Washington, D.C., Beijing, and Shanghai, USCBC is uniquely positioned to serve its members' interests in the United States and China. And their website is www.uschina.org. So very interesting that the USCBC has actually been around longer than the Carter administration policies. So notable members of the U.S.-China Business Council include investment banks previously mentioned, U.S. companies manufacturing in China, U.S. companies with sales in the China market, major government relations and public relations firms, and other corporations. So just to highlight, just, just to highlight um, some of the, com the U.S. companies um, that are top by sales in China, meaning U.S. exports. So the Trump administration is currently supporting um, and encouraging U.S. exports to China. It's the um, and sales in China. It's just the um, the manufacturing and the imports that are of um, graver concern. So top companies with total sales in China include um, Apple, Intel, Qualcomm, Boeing, Micron, Broadcom, um, Cisco, Texas in Instruments, Procter and Gamble, and so on. Um, but then the top U.S. companies that have the highest share of sales in China include Skyworks, Qualcomm, Corvo, Broadcom, Micron Technology, Texas Instruments. Technology is a very um, significant share of the uh, U.S.-China partnership. And so then going back to looking at the industrial nature of China stocks in the U.S. markets. The largest package of Chinese companies publicly traded in the U.S. are of software and computer services. It's 36 Chinese companies are traded in the United States, which are software and computer services. And next major is general retailers, understandably. Okay, so let's move on. Chinese Foreign Direct Investment FDI in the United States. The U.S. Congressional Research Service produced a report in 2019 titled The U.S.-China Investment Ties, Overview and Issues for Congress. This report highlighted extensive concerns over Chinese foreign direct investment in the United States and outlined historical growth and decline of Chinese FDI activity. Concerns about Chinese FDI in the United States. While some U.S. businesses and governments at various levels have been actively seeking Chinese investors, Chinese FDI in the United States have 
come under increasing scrutiny by policymakers. Some members have expressed concerns over investments by government-backed entities that appear to target industries and technologies that the Chinese government has identified as critical to China's future economic development. Concerns over the ability of the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States to review adequately the national security aspects of FDI in the U.S. economy led to the enactment of the Federal Investment Risk Review Modernization Act in August 2018. The act seeks to modernize CFIUS, the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, and expand the types of investment subject to review, including certain non-controlling investments in critical technology. Okay, so that was a quote directly from the report. Also from the report, they had a very interesting timeline of Chinese FDI stock in the United States. So from 2002 to 2009, China had less than $5 billion invested in the United States. In 2010, it increased to $10 billion. In 2012, it increased to $20 billion. For 2014 and 2015, the increase was to $40 billion. By 2016, it increased to $64 billion. And then when the new administration came in, we started to see a decline. In 2017, $58 billion. 2018, $56 billion. So notably, before the Obama administration, Chinese FDI in the United States was more nominal, under $5 billion annually. However, during the Obama administration, Chinese FDI increased to $64 billion by the end of Obama's two-term presidency. Now, under the Trump administration, the U.S. is seeing a slow decline of Chinese FDI and Chinese divestment from the United States. Okay, moving on. The U.S. Department of Justice China Initiative. As described by the DOJ, the Department of Justice China Initiative, which reflects the strategic priority of countering Chinese national security threats and reinforces the president's overall national security strategy. strategy excuse me. In addition to identifying and prosecuting those engaged in trade secret theft, hacking, and economic espionage. The initiative will increase efforts to protect our critical infrastructure against threats, including foreign direct investment, supply chain threats, and the foreign agents seeking to influence the American public and policymakers without proper registration. The China Initiative was launched in 2018 to confront, and now this is in Attorney General Bill Barr's words, in 2018, to confront China's malign behaviors and protect U.S. technology. Moving on, full quote from A.G. Barr, and which was cited out of um, a speech um, that he that he gave at the initiative. Investigations during the department's China initiative have repeatedly shown how the PRC is using intelligence services and tradecraft to target valuable scientific and technical information held by the private sector and the academy. 
meaning academia. Back to the quote. These cover a wide range of technologies from those applicable to commercial airplane engines, to renewable energy, to new materials, to high-tech agriculture. Since the announcement of the Made in China 2025 plan, for example, the department has brought trade secret theft cases in eight of the 10 technology sectors that China is aspiring to dominate. In targeting these sectors, the PRC employs a multi-pronged approach, engaging in cyber intrusions, co-opting private sector insiders through its intelligence services, and using non-traditional collectors, such as graduate students, participating in university research projects. Continuing the quote of A.G. Barr. At academic and other research institutions, China uses talent programs to encourage the theft of intellectual property. Finally, China complements its plainly illicit activity with facially legal but predatory behavior, the acquisitions of U.S. companies and other investments in the U.S., end quote. So, the DOJ China Initiative has successfully charged multiple individuals involved with related offenses committed through academic institutions in the U.S. For example, multiple individuals were charged on a series of offenses allegedly committed while receiving support from Harvard University, National Institutes of Health, and the U.S. Department of Defense. In similar moves under the U.S. Senate, the Concerns Over Nations Funding University Campus in Institutes in the United States Act, the Confucius Act, the Secure Campus Act, and the Transparency for Confucius Act, legislations have been related to closures of the Chinese government-affiliated Confucius Institutes from American college campuses. Okay, at this point in my white, white paper, I come to close. A series of references are listed, and then we move into the appendix, listing a few hundred different companies. So, just to close, universities, nonprofit institutions are in a particularly vulnerable position. Because nonprofit organizations operate differently from the private sector. They operate somewhat like a spider. And each arm of the spider has affiliations in different directions. You can have local, county, state, federal, government affiliations. You have affiliations to philanthropists and foundations, um, outside organizations and partnerships. You have the, the beneficiaries who you're, who you're serving, you know, whether it's students or general community or the pro professional community, um, patients, clients, um, the environment, um, and so on. So there's a, a broad series, I'm including, you know, licensure, accreditation. There's um, a serious amount of um, liability that a nonprofit organization has to its stakeholders falling all falling under all of those um, those categories 
And so China, like any other predator, can exploit a nonprofit institution for all of its relationships or any of its relationships or a part of its relationships or just one channel. So for example, going back to the case that's cited where there were just a few individuals that um, according to the, the DOJ press release, um, the university um, was not aware of these activities that were going on. But there were a few individuals who essentially exploited the incredibly high level resources at the institution in order to carry out means that were more in benefit to China's interests than that of, let's just say, Harvard's interests to be, you know, to assume, or American interests. So going back to the white paper, the series of companies that are listed, it's important to, to just review them with a great amount of sensitivity and understanding their existing relationships and their existing dependency on those relationships um, and, and how each one has no doubt been maintaining full compliance with the United States um, government for, by looking at some of these companies, decades that they've been involved with China. So there's probably much that can be learned from, from these companies as they take um, independent action with regards to China, but that um, these companies, any of them may also face certain um, volatility in the market. So if there's um, you know any stocks that are in an endowment portfolio or otherwise um, you know that may be having a little trouble, um, and I'm not an, an investment advisor by any stretch of the imagination, um, but it's always interesting to watch um, market volatility and um, surrounding um, news with regards to um, the struggles that um, companies have in these foreign countries. And no doubt, a lot of these companies that are operating in China um, you know, are probably you know, facing um, certain uncertainty internally. And um, you know, so I'm sure that we'll all, we'll all make it through and uh, the reforms will, positive reforms will go into effect for everybody's benefit. Okay, thank you so much for listening. Um, if you'd like to um, share any feedback, my email address is velmaann at absnetwork.info. V-E-L-M-A a-N-N-E at A as in Apple, B as in Boy, S as in Sam, network dot I-N-F-O. Thank you.